Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Glad that you are here. Um, you've heard that we're starting things off a little bit differently today. All of our kindergarten through fifth grade kids are in here with us because we've got a few kids uh, from camp that are going to share some of the truths that God taught them at camp here in just a minute. And then we usually do the Lord's Supper together uh, as families on the first Sunday of the month. And so we're going to go ahead and do that while the kids are in here and then they'll head on out uh, to children's worship in just a minute. Um, one quick note, just as you prepare yourself for the kids to come and share, one of these four is my oldest daughter, Sydney. And on the way in this morning in the van, uh, we were talking about when I die, you know, as you normally do on the way to church on Sunday mornings. And she informed all of us that when I die, she said, at your funeral, I don't care how many people leave, I'm going to talk for over an hour. So I have no idea where she gets that. And uh, you can just brace yourselves for what's coming. I don't think she's planning on talking for an hour this morning. She's saying no. But they'll be up here in just a minute. But right before they come up, I wanted to give you one update. I told you last week that I had forgotten these prayer magnets for the Browns. Uh, you all met them as a church about four months ago. They have started their training as international missionaries. Uh, they got about six weeks left in Virginia um, where they are training to then head to Europe and share the gospel and make disciples and plant churches in Europe. And so these magnets are going to be available on your way out. I hope you will take one of these just as a visual reminder for your family to be praying for it's Josh, Selena, and then Eli is four and Silas is one. And they're from here in Middle Tennessee, sold their home, sold everything, and are headed to Europe um, as full-time career missionaries with their whole family. And I'm trying to FaceTime or Zoom with Josh once a week, and we're studying the Bible together the same way that we do here on Sunday mornings. But one cool thing that happened from last Sunday to this Sunday, which now I'm glad that I forgot the magnets because I get to tell you this on the day you take the magnets home, but when they got to uh, where they're training, there's 108 adults there, missionaries, being trained to be sent all over the world. They got about 48 kids, so a little bit over 150 of them there. And they've divided them up. They're living in quads. So there's four families. Each of them have like a little two-bedroom apartment with a common living area, and they divided them up by regions. So they're in a quad for Europe. And those quads are meeting in their common area each Sunday and doing like house church together. The, the same way that they're probably going to be doing when they're out in the field, wherever they're going. And so you know, part of their training is together, worship together, study the Bible together. And so Josh, out of, out of their quad, Josh got selected to lead the Bible study starting this morning, like probably an hour ago. He already did it, but I told him we were going to pray for him anyway. Um, but so what's really cool is that this same way that we've been studying the Bible, that Josh and I have got to study the Bible together for several years, uh, for a while we were meeting on Thursdays, He's now getting to train several other missionary families and, and kind of introduce them to this, and they're going to be taking this literally to all over Europe for that group. Uh, but by the time they finish meeting with all these other groups all over the world as a way to study the Bible, introduce people to the Bible and to Jesus, who he is and, and what the church is supposed to be. And so this is going to be one of the tools they use, hopefully to start churches in places where people haven't heard the gospel and don't really know who Jesus is. Um, and so that was just a, a really neat piece of the story for me. So I hope you will grab this on the way out. I hope you'll be praying for them. There's an email address on here, and it is their secure mission-related uh, email address for Josh and Selena both. And I would love it if 
once a week you would just make it a, a point to send a prayer to them or a word of encouragement or scripture and just let them know that we are praying for them and thinking about them. Uh, when they finish their training, they're going to be back in town for like 10 to 12 days before they head to Europe. But that's the update on the Browns. I would like to pray for them right now, and then we're going to have the kids come up. Uh, so will you pray with me as we pray for Josh and Selena? Father, I thank you for Josh and Selena and Eli and Silas, for your work in their lives and, and the call that you have put on them uh, to go to the ends of the earth and make disciples in the very way that Jesus has said. And we pray for them this morning as they gather for the first time uh, in worship with their small group of others who've been called in the same way. And I ask that you will speak to them from your word and teach them and continue to reveal yourself to them and that you would pour out your spirit and your grace and your power and that you would live in them and fill them with your spirit for the purpose of them knowing you more so that they will make disciples who know you more. And we ask that you would give them everything that they need for what you have called them to do. And we ask that you would also help us as your church and your people, as partners in the gospel with them, to support them and encourage them and pray for them, um, and that, that we could give thanks with them for every way that you use them, for the ways that you build your church and the gospel advances in the months and years to come. And so we thank you, Father, that we get to be part of this work with them and most of all with you, that you've invited us to be part of this worldwide work that you are doing for your name, for the name of Jesus, for the sake of your gospel, for our good, that we would know you. Thank you for inviting us to be part of it. We ask that you will keep using us more and more in this way. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, Teresa, you want to bring the kids up here now, or are you going to... Well, I have an announcement to make, She's so I'll do that. She's going to talk for a while first. <laughs> I'll, I'll get out of the way. So this is what big church looks like. It's fun hanging with you guys. I'm Teresa. I'm the children's minister. And before the kids come up, I would like to make an announcement. You may have heard from Pastor Andy or seen in the bulletin that we've been given the unique privilege to have a Bible club at a public school. That is amazing. It would be an extension of their school day from about 2.30 to 4. And we need about 10 people that are willing to join us, understanding that you can't be there every week, but the weeks that you can, you would actually be a shepherd. You would sit with, at a table with like the first graders and welcome them and get to know them and pray for them and ask questions about what they're learning. So if you would like to join us in this incredible adventure, talk to Miss Luann Jinks or myself or sign up on your bulletin on the connection card. And now, the and four, yes. One day a week, right? It's one day a week. Yeah. Great question. And we're still waiting to find out what day we, we're hoping for Thursday. And we believe it's going to be W.A. Wright, which is right in our neighborhood. So that we can be a bridge and invite those kids right here and connect those family. So um, we think Thursday, but yes, one day a week on the Wilson County School schedule. So... There are about four kids that would like to share this morning, if y'all can make your way up. We actually had 26 kids go to camp, and out of those, um, four felt comfortable sharing this morning. But for the other ones that are not sharing today, they are incredible uh, receivers 
and deliverers of truth. Maybe not on a stage with a microphone, but come on up, guys. But in their small groups at camp, they were able to communicate with their peers and with their leaders incredible truths that they got from the pastor speaking and from the Word of God. And that is the culture we're trying to cultivate here. Is that right? So here's why it's so important for kids to understand what the Bible is saying to them. Oftentimes, when kids leave high school, they leave the church. It's like over 80% that exit our doors. And one reason is when they're in children's ministry, they see a children's minister that is their spiritual leader that teaches them and spoon-feeds them everything. And then they graduate to a youth pastor that spoon-feeds them everything. And at that point, they're so used to having someone break it down and feed them spiritually, they're lost when they get out of high school. So what we have done here at Friendship is we're trying to keep teach children from a young age that it is a personal walk with God, that the Bible is alive and active and speaks to them and through them. Because children, all of these kids are believers. The same Holy Spirit that speaks to you speaks to them. And the truth that they get is through this beautiful, pure filter. And so we're helping kids find their spiritual voice. And whether they share from a stage or on the way home, we believe that they have something to say. They're an important part of the body of Christ. Now, one thing you can do as parents is when you pick them up, we always say, did you have fun? That's a great question. I really want the kids to be so excited about church. But on the way home or at lunch, also say, what did you learn about God today? Because I may not always be there, Pastor Eric may not be, even Pastor Andy, but the Holy Spirit and God, we want to start a friendship with them that never, ever ends. Is that right? Okay. We're going to start down here with Miss Lynn. First, let's clap for these kids. Okay. So, Layla, I want to ask you a question. The pastor at camp told a really funny story that everybody remembered, just like Jesus, who spoke in parables and stories. Can you tell us what that story was? So one day he was walking his dog, and uh, his dog is really excited about squirrels, and uh, there was a squirrel, so so she started to chase him. Well, she dragged him across, and then he tripped and fell. He skinned his knees, but not his hands, because he landed on a poop bag. Okay, so every time the pastor would come up, he would point to his knees, and what would we say? Bloody knees, Okay, so what Bible truth did you get from that story? I learned that sometimes we would go off um, the way that God wanted us to go on. That's right, and was there a scripture you'd like to tell us about that kind of drove that point home? Um, Romans 2, 3, I mean 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's truth. Is that truth? Okay, thank you so much. Uh, This is Layla. This is Maya. Maya, what truth would you like to share with us today? That I got saved. She got saved. So was there a Bible verse that kind of preached your heart that let you know that you needed to be saved? Would you read that for us? Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised 
him from the dead, you will be saved. I learned that I was a sinner, and I could not save myself. I obeyed the truth in the verse and accepted Jesus as my Savior, and I became a Christian, and I can't wait to be baptized. Thank you, Maya. She actually wrote me a note um, after hearing this truth, and she handed me the note, and then she just stood in front of me and just kept looking at me, and then I opened the note, and it said, can you help me get saved? Yes, I can. That is like saying, sick them to a dog. It's like, yes. So I'm, we're so proud of her journey that's beginning. This is Zeb. Zeb, tell us a truth that you learned. Um, so at camp, um, I learned that um, even though we um, wouldn't die for someone, like even if they were a righteous person or they did a really good thing for us, like even though we were sinners, God died for us and took our punishment. Amen. That's right. Very rarely will somebody die for a righteous person, but to die for a sinner. Anything else? Um, the verse is Romans 5, 7, and 8. Um, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that when we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is Sydney. Uh, Sydney, what would you like to share with us? So in Luke 19, I learned that God always has a plan um, because how he always, like, even if our life seems really just messed up and, like, there's, like, nothing going on, it doesn't seem good, he's always there for you, um, even if you can't see it. And the part in the story that I mainly learned that from was where he, um, he said, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say the Lord needs it. So if you follow God's plan, things will always turn out right. Oh, that's awesome. And you know what? Sometimes they turn out tough, which is right, because it brings God the most glory, right? Way to go. Anything else you want to share? No. Okay, we're proud of you so much. Now, if anybody else went to camp and you're thinking, I can do that, if you want to come up or raise your hand, I can run out there. Anybody else want to share anything from camp? Anybody? Last call? All right. Very good. Thank you for allowing us to share. And I hope you see that God speaks to anyone that has the Holy Spirit and has ears to hear. Thank y'all so much. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together right now. Um, and Zeb told us what this is all about. When humanly speaking, worldly speaking, very rarely, even for a righteous person, like for a really, really good person, for the best person you know, very rarely would anybody else lay down their life for that person. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were as far away from God as we could be, falling as short as we could fall, from who God is and what he wants from us. When we were nothing at all, 
like a good or righteous person. There was nothing worthy and deserving in us. God looked at us and loved us anyway. And loved us not just a little bit in a worldly way, but loved us to the fullest extent of love that you could ever know. Loved us to the point that Jesus, God the Son, came to die for us. That he demonstrated his love. He showed his love. He acted out his love. Made it known to us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We sang about it actually in the first two songs today. The infinite love of Christ. And then that we will never see the end of his goodness. The extent to which he loves you. The goodness and grace that he offers to you in Jesus. And so we do this every time that we do it. To remember the sacrifice of Jesus. To remember the love of God that he has demonstrated and shown in that way. And so if you'll take the bread right now. Jesus said, this is my body. Broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then Jesus said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together as we're about to jump into the Bible, and then after I pray, the kids uh, can head out to kids' worship with Miss Teresa if they want to, but let's pray right now. Father, thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice and his love and the grace that you have made available to us through him. Help us right now to see him more than we ever have. As we study your word in these next few minutes, please open up the truth of your word to us and open us up to the truth of your word. Teach us by your spirit from your word as only you can. We need you to do a spiritual work in our hearts that we cannot do, that my words can never make happen. And so we are coming to you and we're asking for your grace and your power and your work. We trust you for it because of Jesus. And so it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, kids, you all can head on out. Teresa's holding the sign there if you want to head her direction. And obviously, you're always welcome to stay with your parents, too, if you want to. Um, you're always, always welcome, but you're also always welcome to go with Miss Teresa. We'll give them a minute to head out. I, I'd thought about jumping into a new series today, uh, starting a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and I'd thought and thought and thought about it, and kept feeling like in connection with the kids sharing and that we were doing the Lord's Supper, kept kind of feeling pulled back to John 13. And I actually had both of them in the iPad, like I was trying to decide and trying to, and I finally settled on John 13 yesterday and then ended up with some confirmation this morning that I think it's the direction we were supposed to go. And I'll share that with you probably here in a little while as we get into the sermon. Um, so if you want to turn to John 13 on your devices or in your Bibles, it's going to be on the screen here in just a minute. This is part of the story on the night when Jesus 
instituted, started the Lord's Supper with the disciples. This is the night that he's arrested, the night before he's crucified. Um, and so this is a section of that story, and it felt really appropriate for today. And then I came in, and we heard the first two songs and the verses these kids shared, and I know that it was, it's perfect for today, and so I'm really looking forward to going through this uh, together. And, you know, I prayed that God will speak right now, that he will teach us things, things that won't just come from human understanding or human study or human intelligence, but this will be a time when we encounter God in his word. And one of the ways that we try uh, to, to focus our hearts and be prepared for that is that we always read with this question in mind, what does this teach us about God? And so as I read John 13, and we're going to go a little bit into John 14, uh, just because you may or may not know this, but originally when the Bible was written, the, the verses that we have and the chapters, those aren't in the original documents. We have put those in as a helpful tool for us, like as a reference, so that I can say to you, turn to John 13, and you know where in John to turn, because uh, John's a big book, <laughs> and there'd be a lot of places to turn if, if you didn't know exactly where we were going. So it's a really helpful thing. But every now and then, especially the chapter divisions, they can break stuff up. Like if you read this chapter and just stop at the end, and there wasn't actually a chapter division there, you know, whatever comes next at the beginning of 14, John put that as the very next thing to read. And so I didn't want to break the end of 13 from the beginning of 14 today because there's something really neat to see there. Um, so we're going to read a few verses into 14, but that's where we're headed. But as I read right now, I'm going to ask you to be listening for what does this teach us about God? And then based on the things that he's showing us about himself from his word, we're also asked, what's he saying to us today? What's he saying to your heart this morning, to us as a church? And we'll take a few minutes for you to share some of the things that the Holy Spirit's saying to your heart, just like these kids shared things that he said to them at camp a couple weeks ago. And then I do have a few things that I hope to point out towards the end, and we'll just see how the morning goes and where we end up. But here we go, if you want to read along with me. John 13, starting in verse 1, it says... It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. That's where 13 ends. Here's why I didn't want us to stop there. Jesus has just looked at Peter and said, you think you would die for me? You wouldn't die for me? Before this night's over, you'll deny that you even know me three times. End of 13, very next words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. So back up. Let's read that last verse of 13. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. 
My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All right, that's our text for the morning. What does that teach us about God? What stood out to you? Yeah. Yeah, so John said that Jesus' love is so truly unconditional. And it is one of the biggest things that stands out to me in this whole passage. So I'll mark it real quickly here, and then we'll do a few more of your all's truths. But we see, very first verse, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And like, to the end of his life, to the fullest extent, like to the end of the expression of all love, like all the ways you want to take that phrase. And so we see this focus on his love. And then if you noticed, when he comes down to the end of the chapter here, when he was talking to him about what's all this mean for you, like I'm about to leave. And right now you can't go with me. What do, I, what do I want you to know more than anything else? As the people who follow me, as the people who are going to be called by my name, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so we see this is certainly what this chapter is about. The way that Jesus loves us, the way that Jesus loves his people, and then when he loves us that way and we are following him, how his love should be living in us in such a way that we start to love the same way that he loves us. But one of the things that John points out here, the way that Jesus loves them in this passage is by taking a very low position of service. The thing that usually in that day, the household servant who was at the very bottom of the food chain, he's the one that would have washed your feet. Right, because your feet were nasty back then. The, the roads weren't paved. It was nasty, muddy, dusty, dirty roads. And there was lots of animals that walked on those roads and did the things that animals do on roads. And you walked through that. And so your feet had to be washed when you came into the house. And nobody wanted to wash anybody's feet. As a matter of fact, in one of the Gospels, they tell us that the disciples are arguing about, hey, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm too important. This is beneath me. And while they're arguing, Jesus does this. But he washes all their feet. And then notice that there's only two disciples mentioned by name in this section. Judas, who betrays Jesus in just a few hours, and Peter, who denies Jesus three times on this night. What does Jesus do with them? Does he leave them out? He say, you're about to betray me, I'm not washing your feet, I don't love you. You're about to deny me, I'm not washing your feet, I don't love you. No. He loves them just like he loves all the others. You want to talk about unconditional? I love you even when you betray me. 
I love you even when you deny me. His love for them is not based on their response to him. His love for them is not based on what they do for him. His love for them is not based on what they get right or get wrong. His love for them is not based on how strong their faith is. He loves them because of who he is. His love is based on him. He is loving. Even people who, you know, in the story of Judas, it seems like Judas ultimately rejects Jesus. The way his story ends, we don't have anything else in the Bible to signify that he comes back to Jesus with a true faith in Jesus. And if that's the case, Jesus even loves him to the end. When he refuses to, like, the reason that he ends up outside of Jesus' love is not because Jesus loves him. It's not because Jesus rejects him in that way. It's because he rejects Jesus. That's how extreme Jesus' love is. So Jesus' love is truly unconditional. What else stands out to you? Truths about God. Yeah. Jesus is the only one who can truly rescue you. You want to tell us where you're seeing that? Great. Yeah. So Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to take you to be there with me. And they're like, we don't know where you're going. How in the world can we know how to get there? And Jesus answered for, here's how you get to be with me. Here's how you are rescued from this world and, and your sin and all the things that would separate you from me and from the Father. Here's how you're rescued. I am the way. Like, Jesus is the way to get there, and Jesus is the only way. And I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way to be rescued is through Jesus. The only way to come to the Father is through Jesus. The only way to be rescued from your sin is through Jesus. The only way to be rescued from eternal spiritual death is through Jesus. The only way to be rescued into eternal spiritual life is through Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can truly rescue you. What else stands out to you? Mm. Jesus knows our hearts. I think I know where you're coming from, but go ahead and point it out to us. Yeah. Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified very truly. I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Like he knows what Judas is about to do. And the same thing here with Peter. <laughs> Peter comes swashbuckling in. I laid out my life for you. <laughs> He's like, will you really? Let me tell you what you're about to do, Peter. We're going to break some of this pride and self-confidence and self-reliance inside of you tonight. Before this night's over, you're going to disown me three times. And so Jesus knows their hearts. Look, Jesus knows your heart. You're not hiding anything from him. So stop hiding. Because here's the deal. He knows their hearts, and he still washes their feet. He knows your heart, and he still loves you right now. He doesn't love you because you're clean. He will clean you because he loves you. 
So don't hide it from him. Bring it to him. Confess it. Let him know. Like, tell, say, I know you know. Here's just let me admit to you that I know. I know how dirty my heart is. I know how much I need you to clean me. I know that you are my only hope. And I believe, I believe what you have said about your love. I believe that you will love me to this extent. I believe that your love is unconditional in this way. I believe that you love people who don't deserve it. I believe you so much that I'm coming to you, trusting that you will do for me what I desperately need that I can't do for myself. You know, it's when he tells Peter up here, he's like, unless you're clean, unless you're washed, you can't be with me. Let's talk about that section for just a minute because obviously Jesus is talking in some figurative language here. He's not saying things explicitly. Um, And so right here, first of all, Peter realizes that Jesus is coming to wash his feet. He's like, no, you're supposed to be the master and the teacher. This is too low of a position for you. You're supposed to be above me and more important than me. You You can't wash my feet. And Jesus says, you don't realize what I'm doing now, but later you'll understand. You know, basically what he's saying there, you still don't understand what it means for me to be king. You don't understand the type of king that I am. You don't understand yet what my kingdom is like. It is not like the world. You're still thinking like the world. You're eventually going to get it. After your king dies for you, you're going to start to get it. You'll start to understand the type of king I am and the type of kingdom that I have. But you don't get it yet. So you don't understand what I'm doing. So Peter's like, no, you shall never wash my feet. And then Jesus right here, he, he shifts on Peter. He's like, I'm not really talking about washing feet anymore. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And make sure you understand one of the things this includes when Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. He's saying, you can't wash yourself. You can't get yourself clean. You can't make yourself clean enough and good enough to be with Jesus. But Jesus is saying, I will do it for you. I will clean you. I will wash you. I will make you what you need to be in order to have a part with me. And so Jesus is like, you got to let me wash you for your sake because I'm the only one who can. It's exactly what Chloe said just a minute ago. There's nobody else. Only Jesus can rescue us. So then Peter responds in typical Peter fashion, right? Swings from this side to this side. It's all, like Peter's only one extreme or the other, always. Well, fine then. Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And so then Jesus moves into a deeper spiritual truth there. And he says, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. And what Jesus is emphasizing here is two pieces of following him. Two pieces of salvation. Two pieces of our relationship with him. He's saying, hey, when I clean you, you know, the moment that Jesus saves you and claims you as his own and you are trusting in him and following him, at that moment you are completely clean. It's done forever. When he gives you a bath spiritually, when he washes you, he washes you completely and it is done and there's nothing else to be done. There's nothing to be added to it. You will forever be clean in the eyes of God because of what Jesus has done for you and Jesus has done to you. It's done. At the very same time, he also emphasizes this ongoing nature of your relationship with him, where he's like, you're clean forever before God, but also it's good for me to keep washing your feet, for you to keep depending on me, ongoing, trusting me to work, in, that, that I've made you perfect forever in the sight of God. 
And yet you're living this life where you're still battling the sin that lives inside of you and the pull of the world. And every day for you to come back and be confessing to me and relying on me and letting me purify you more and remove more of those pieces and to get real fancy with words. I don't care if you know the words, but I want you to know the meaning. The first thing he's talking about here is justification, which just means when you are right before God. Like if you were thinking about being in a court and your legal standing before God as the judge, when you are justified, when you're made right with God, it means that God the judge would look at you and he would say, not guilty, innocent, accepted, approved. And Jesus is like, when I do that, I do that instantly. I do that forever. It is completely done and nothing will ever change that. You are fully washed and completely innocent before God forever. And then the ongoing part of your relationship with Jesus, following him for the rest of your life, the fancy word sanctification. And that just means that you are growing in holiness or growing in goodness, that you're spiritually maturing, that these things that are true of Jesus, the way that he loves and serves and puts other people before himself, that as his spirit lives in you, he's producing more and more of that in you. The part of you that is given to selfishness and sinfulness, he is killing that on a daily basis. And the part of him that lives out the goodness of Jesus, he's bringing that to life every single day. And that every single day becomes this spiritual journey of looking to Jesus and trusting Jesus and praying and confessing and letting Jesus cleanse us and letting Jesus live in us and choosing that we're going to depend on him and not on ourselves. That we're going to live out of his spirit and not out of our flesh. That he is going to be our source of life and goodness and not us. And so he's saying, hey, you don't ever need me to clean you again because you're forever clean. And also, you always, always need me all the time. But those are the two pieces that are going on there. What else stands out to you? Yeah. God uses... Satan's ill intent for his glory. Yeah, this. Go ahead. No, go on. Etc. From Adam. Let's just put that. Let's put that as a whole separate one because that's so good. God uses Satan to defeat. Satan. <laughs> you got to love this. I mean, like, this is, this is, Satan has been working, as far as in world history, at this point, Satan's been at work for about 4,000 years from the time that he tempts Eve and gets her to eat the fruit and uses her to tempt Adam to eat the fruit and they disobey God and sin comes into the world. It's about 4,000 years of Satan trying to thwart God's purposes on earth. And this is his ultimate move that God the Son has come down. And here is God revealing himself most fully and most completely and accomplishing everything that he intends in this story of history and Satan trying to stop it. And his plan is the best way I can stop it. I can get one of his closest followers to betray him and I can use these really religious people called the Jews that God gave the Bible to and they're going to arrest him and they'll turn him over to the Romans and will kill God. So when Jesus says that that's what's going on and he tells Judas, hey, go ahead and do that. <laughs> Satan entered into him. Jesus told him, hey, what you're about to do, do it quick. It's not just go ahead and do it. It's like, hey, 
Get on with it. It's time. And you already hear him there. It's time. I know it's time. I decided it's time. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him since Judas had charged the money. Some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. When he was gone, so Jesus had just said, go, do, go betray me. Go get me arrested. Go get me crucified. Very next words from Jesus. Now, as Judas goes to betray me, as Judas goes to bring the Romans to arrest me, as they're about to crucify me, now... The Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Like this was why Jesus came. This is the ultimate moment of Jesus' glory and the Father being glorified in the Son and the Father glorifying the Son. And God is using, like, Satan's ultimate move is a pawn in God's hands. And what it, what it reminds me of, it's like Satan's playing checkers, and he's been setting up the board for 50 moves for this, like this triple jump that he thinks coming. And we get right here, and he makes his move, and then Jesus is like, hey, we're playing chess. <laughs> We've been playing chess all along. You just didn't know it. <laughs> Jesus is playing on a whole other level where pieces do things that nobody else can even imagine if all you know is checkers. Like this is how, when we talked about redemption all throughout Job and Adam preached on redemption a few weeks ago, this is how God can take things that look so awful and so terrible, things that are awful and terrible. Like what is worse in the history of the world than the Son of God, like God himself in the second person coming down and becoming a human and living a perfect life and loving this way and serving this way and teaching this way and healing people and rescuing people and never doing anything wrong. And he is betrayed and he is abandoned and he is denied and he is arrested and he is beaten and he is mocked and he's crucified. What's worse than that in the history of the world? It's the worst thing that's ever happened. And Jesus is like, this was the very purpose for which I came. God will take that, the worst thing that's happened in the history of the world, God will take that, and this will be God's glory. There will come a day, I don't know if you ever think of it this way, but we sit here 2,000 years later, and everything I just said, I, can you see how bad it was? I mean, can you at least begin to see what a terrible moment this is in world history? And yet there will come a day when we will sit and celebrate that that happened when we will sing songs about that happening, when we will take a cup and a piece of bread and say, we want to remember that that happened. We don't ever want to forget because this is the most important thing that's ever happened. The worst thing that's happened in the history of the world is the most important thing that's happened in the history of the world. And in the hands of God, it becomes the greatest thing that's happened in the history of the world. Like This is your hope and my hope that God loves you like this, and then God is able to redeem like this. Whatever it is in your life, however much you've blown it, however far you think you are from God, however much you've messed up, however much you've failed, however much you're just overwhelmed, however much it's too much for you, it's not too much for Him. Like whatever it is, it's not darker than this. Whatever it is, it's not worse than this. Whatever it is, it's not bigger than this. And He handled this. He didn't just handle this. He turned this into the greatest thing ever. What will He do if you give Him all of who you are? What will He do if you give Him all of your brokenness and all of your emptiness and all of your neediness? 
What will he bring out of that? How will he work for his glory in your life? And he's telling you, you can come to me like that. You can give me that. You can trust me with that. Like that is another picture that we get with Peter and Judas here. Look, they both blow it. They all blow it, by the way. The other disciples abandon Jesus. As soon as the soldiers show up, they run off and hide. So you got one that betrays him, ten that abandon him, and then one that denies him. But with Judas and Peter, since they're mentioned by name, the only difference is that Peter comes back and grieves and repents and Jesus restores him. Judas kills himself and never comes back. They both absolutely blow it. Jesus loves them both and serves them both. And one believes his love and comes back to him. Whatever it is in your life, Jesus is saying, I love you. Come to me. Come to me. Trust me. Let me wash you. Let me make you right. Let me redeem it. Let me use it for my glory. What else stands out to you? Great. When we fail miserably, oops, always come back to Jesus. Right? The difference isn't, oh, Judas fails miserably and Peter doesn't. That's not the difference. Judas fails miserably, Peter fails miserably. Judas fails miserably, and as far as we can tell, never comes back to Jesus. Peter fails miserably and comes back to Jesus. And Jesus' arms are open, and Jesus' love is enough, and Jesus accepts him and restores him. And then the one that uses his words on this night, uses his words to deny Jesus, is the one that Jesus picks just a few chapters later in Acts chapter 2 to be the one who first uses his words to declare the gospel when the church is built, born, comes to life for the very first time. But, but Peter is the one that's recorded as preaching that first sermon. Like He picks the one who fails most spectacularly with his words, and he's like, I'm going to use that one to start the church with his words. It is who Jesus is. It is what he does. A couple other things I want to point out as we get ready to wrap up and move into our time of worship. This stood out to me too, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Imagine what it's like to know that you have all the power in all reality. All things are under your power. You can save yourself right now. You don't have to be arrested. You don't have to be mocked. You don't have to be beaten. You don't have to be crucified. You don't have to watch the sky turn black and feel the Father turn His face away and pour His wrath out on you for things that you never did. You don't have to know the depth of physical death and spiritual death as you're separated from the Father for the sin of the whole world. You don't have to because all things are under your power and you can use it for yourself right now and save yourself if you want to. You can look at this guy who's going to betray you and you can strike him down in your power. 
And you can look at this guy who's going to deny you, and you can destroy him with your power. And you can look at these guys that are going to abandon you, and you can get rid of them in your power. He knew that the Father put all things under his power. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist and washed their feet. He does the humblest and lowliest thing that he could do. This is how different Jesus' kingdom is from anything that we think of in the world. In Jesus' kingdom, the one who is the highest willingly acts like the lowest. The one who stands tallest stoops the farthest. The one who is seated highest on his throne as king of kings bows down the lowest to wash his servants' feet. In no other kingdom does the king wash the servants' feet. Jesus is not like anybody you've ever known. Jesus is not like anything you've ever seen in this world. Jesus is radically different and radically better. He says, I know all power has been given to me. Here's how I'll use my power to serve people who don't deserve it. To love people who aren't worthy of it. Jesus uses his power to serve. Jesus uses his power to love. And then I think it's worth just turning it one more way. Jesus loves powerfully. Jesus loves with a love that's so powerful that betrayal and abandonment and denial can't break it. Jesus loves with a love that's so powerful that when his closest friends completely fail him, he keeps loving them. His love is so strong, there's nothing they can do to kill it. There's nothing they can do to stop it. It's just hours before the Romans kill his body, but they never kill his love for the Father and his love for you. His love is stronger than death, stronger than the grave. And when he comes back, he comes back loving the people who betrayed him and abandoned him and denied him and even loving the people who killed him. Like his gospel's for them. His gospel is for you. He died because of your sin, and his love is still for you. That's how powerful his love is. And also see this idea. He knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. There's something here in this certainty of Jesus knowing who he is in relation to the Father. Jesus resting so fully in the plan of the Father, and the truth of the Father, and the love of the Father, and the power of the Father, that he's completely free now to love. He doesn't have to protect himself. He doesn't have to plan for himself. He doesn't have to look out for himself. He can give himself because of the freedom that he has in the Father's love and the Father's plan. And I would tell you, I know that in ourselves we can never love this way. Because we're not Jesus. We are needy. But what happens is so often what we call love, humanly speaking, is I need certain things from you, and whoever I can find who can best give me what I need, I call that love. I, I love you. <laughs> You're so good for me. <laughs> and that's not at all what Jesus is talking about here. 
Not I have needs and you meet my needs, so I love you. It's Jesus's, I have no needs. You have all kinds of needs. I love you, so I'm going to meet your needs. That is the way that Jesus loves because of his security in who the Father is and his relationship with the Father. And then I want to encourage you, though, that even though we're, not, we're, we're the opposite of that naturally, but when Jesus sends his spirit to live in us, when Jesus loves us with his love, when you start to rest in his love and find your needs met in his love, when Jesus is for you what only Jesus can be for you, then you stop needing that from other people. And the less you need that from them, the less you have to use them to get that for yourself. And the less you have to use them for yourself, the freer you become to love them for their good. As Jesus loves you and you believe his love for you and you live in his love for you, it sets you free to love other people the way that Jesus does. You're free to give yourself completely in love because you don't need to get from them what Jesus is already giving to you. Right? He's free to love you because he has no needs. And when he gives himself to you and he has all things under his power and he's the one serving you, he's the one working for you, he's the one giving his life for you, when he loves you that way, you have what you need in him and you can give yourself for others. You don't have to look out for yourself because Jesus is looking out for you. You don't have to go and get what you need from other people because Jesus is what you need and he's already given himself to you. He knew he knew who he was. He knew who his father was. When you know him, when you know who the father is, when you know how he loves you, when you know what he has already done for you, then you love the same way. And that's what he tells you that he wants you to do, right? He says, yeah, I am your Lord and teacher. I am above you. I am higher than you. And what have I done? When I have taught you, what have I taught you? When I've been your Lord and I've shown you what I want you to do when you follow me, here's what it is. I've washed your feet. I've stooped down. I've humbled myself. I haven't put myself before you. I've put you before me. And so if I'm your Lord and your teacher, this is what I'm telling you to do. Don't put yourself first. Don't put yourself before everybody else. Don't look for your own needs. Serve others. Stoop. Humble yourself. Bow down. Love others. This is what it means to be in Jesus' kingdom. This is what it means for Jesus to be your king. This is what it means to follow Jesus, that you believe that Jesus loves you this way, and because Jesus loves you this way, something happens in your heart, and you start loving other people this way. It's where he goes with the whole thing, right? He's like, here's what I want you to get out of what just happened. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Not with that normal worldly thing that we call love, but the real love of God as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And then the very last thing as we move into worship, and Chloe already pointed us to it, but we get down here to the end, and he's giving them the bad news. Like, hey, one of you is about to betray me. Go on and do it. Peter, everybody thinks that, that you're the, the boldest one, that the, the, you're the out front one, you're the one that walked on water, but guess what? You're going to deny me three times tonight. It's all falling apart, guys. Don't let your hearts be troubled. When it all falls apart, believe in me. 
When you mess it all up, Jesus can handle it. When you fail desperately, Jesus can handle it. Don't let your heart be troubled. He is bigger than your mess. He is bigger than your sin. His love is more powerful than anything you have ever done and ever will do. The other thing is for both of them, this, these sins are future right now. It's not just Jesus saying, hey, I've taken care of everything before now. Now you better get yourself right. He said, no, you're going to deny me. Don't let your heart be troubled. I already knew you were going to, and I already loved you, and I serve you now, and I've already cleaned you. Past, present, and future, Jesus can handle everything in your life. Bring it to him. Believe in him. Trust him. And then he's, he's looking at the guys who are going to betray him, abandon him, deny him. Everybody in that room, one of those categories, tonight. They're either going to betray him, abandon him, or deny him. He looks at him. he's like, hey, I'm about to go prepare a place for you so you can be with me forever. While you're, while you're running away from me, I'm getting a place ready for you to be with me. And then they're like, we have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Where is this place? How do we get there? <laughs> and you know what he says, really, if you think about it? You can't get there. There's not something you can do. There's not some doctrine you can believe there's not some achievement that you can bring that's going to open the door and lead to the way to get there. He says, I am the way. Jesus is like, you want to know how to get there? Me. The way is a person. He's saying, I want you to know a person, and I am that person. I want you to be in a relationship with a person. I am that person. You need me. You need my love. You need me to love you and serve you and clean you and wash you in this way. When I do that for you, you get there. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And he's like, and just in case you think, okay, yeah, you are, but maybe there's another one too. Like maybe it's Jesus plus whatever. He's like, no one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying this is the most narrow way you can imagine. It is a one-lane road, and Jesus is the road. No other way. Jesus and Jesus alone. But then he's like, but it's also the widest invitation you can imagine. I washed Judas' feet, and I washed Peter's feet, and I washed the feet of every disciple who abandoned me. I loved them. I will love everyone to the end. Who will come? Who will believe in me? Who will trust me? Who will follow me? It's open to everybody. But there's only one way to get there, and Jesus is the way. And so I pray this morning that you see Jesus. I pray that you see how Jesus loves you the extent of his love, the power of his love. As we wrap up right here, Jesus loves people who betray him. Jesus loves people who deny him. Jesus loves people who abandon him. Jesus loves people
people who fail him. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you with a love so powerful that death could not stop it. And the more you know his love for you, the more you believe his love for you, the more he will set you free to love people with his love for you. Let's pray right now and let's ask him to do that in us and let's praise him for that. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you even more that this is who Jesus is and that Jesus is showing us who you are. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us with an unending, unconditional love. Help us to know and believe your love and help us to share your love with others. Do this work in us by the truth of your word and the power of your spirit as only you can. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we sing, we're going to have some people down here to pray with you. If you'd like to talk with somebody about what it means to trust Jesus and follow him, if there's things going on in your life that you just need prayer for, just something that God's saying to you this morning, you want to talk to somebody else, we're down here for whatever God's doing in your heart right now. We'd love for you to come and talk with us. So stand and sing with us and come and pray as you feel led.